in the past, there is a lack of sensitivity and to be honest, a lack of correct insight because men or even women, but living in a man's world, the insight is not as accurate as now. Now, because we have so many different people from different backgrounds and more female leader, more female creative and non-binary, it gives a different kind of insight that I think allows you to be more sensitive and looking at it from a deeper and broader point of view. I am hopeful it is going to a direction where it allows a deeper understanding of humans in whatever form. This is a podcast brought to you by Spark, a global community for female and non-binary creatives at communications agency Hill and Knowlton. I'm Lucy Doolan, Creative Director in our London office. And I'm Hannah Quick, Associate Creative Director in the New York office. And we'll be your hosts for today's episode. In this episode, we spoke to the formidable Marianne Admardatine. She's held senior roles in some of the best creative agencies in the world, including JWT, Ogilvy and Wonderman Thompson. Marian is now CEO at H&K Indonesia, and our episode today was focused on the theme of creative equity. We spoke about what diversity looks like when your country is made up of over 17,000 islands and how unexpected challenges are often opportunities not to be missed. We really hope you get as much out of this episode as we did. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about your current role at H&K, where you're based. I am based in Jakarta, Indonesia. I have two current roles. I am the CEO for H&K Indonesia and I'm also the um, Asia head for INC. Um, I got an offer to introduce H&K to Indonesia because H&K was not available uh, in Indonesia then. I like to challenge because it's literally like receiving a completely blank book that I can start. We literally started in 2020 and when we were about to launch it in April, COVID started. But we had the commitment none of us want to back down so we continue on and somehow even despite the pandemic we are growing very fast so I'm quite grateful and amazed at the same time. How was your experience working through the pandemic and sort of starting the business over there at that time? Obviously, we were thinking like, what was the key that makes us able to grow that fast? And when we launched it, we already had several clients, but the remit was PR. And then when COVID starts, we can't do all that right? Everything changes. And we were so worried because we literally just launched. We cannot fail this. I mean, you know, the investment and the kind of preparation that we did is, is, is not small. So we quickly turned things around. Even before the government of Indonesia announces it, nobody can go out anywhere. We actually went to the client one by one and asked them to rethink and rework the scope with us. Because we told them that there are a lot of things that we cannot do. So we didn't wait. We're lucky the client actually willing to talk to us and then willing to change as well. So we started to outline what's possible and what's not. And literally, we changed the scopes that they've already signed with us. And we were experimenting. I remember the first digitally driven campaign that we had to do. So it was definitely learning by doing. And the client was quite patient as well because they are going through the same thing. So the client gives us more work and more work and more work. And so we thought, okay, that means um, whatever we are offering actually suits what they're thinking. And it suits the environment where everything has to be digital or, or social media. We keep on building the skills, upskilling and all that. Until we came up with this structure, not based on industry, but so in Indonesia, 
we have the structure of um, consultants. That's one one division. The other division, we call it the think tank, which is that's where all the strategy, all the data analysts sits there, all the brand planning happening in there. And we have the creative and content uh, studio. So these are the structure. Now, during that time, HNK uh, Global announces INC. And we were thinking, huh, we were actually already there. So all we need to do is plug it in. <laughs> So um, that's how where we are now. Uh, we started um, HNK Indonesia uh, in twenty twenty for only what ten people, I think. Now we are ninety six people. That's just incredible, and congratulations to you and HS. Thank you. It really is amazing, and two very powerful women. <laughs> you know, leading over there. And our theme today is aptly around creative equity. Could you tell us a bit more about how you see the relationship of the sector to creative equity at the moment? What does it mean to you? Just a little bit of a background. Uh, as you know, right, Indonesia is a very large country, right? In terms of population, we are number three in the world. The larger part of the population is uh, low-income earners and all that. And um, obviously, the situation is very different to um, to us who is in the middle range, right? Our industry, obviously, in the middle side, this is not, you know, on, on the majority of, of Indonesia. So we are talking about creative equity. Uh, you'd be very surprised. Actually, in Indonesia, we have a lot of female creatives. There are a lot of female ECD in Indonesia. Although in this industry we have many, the larger population is different. They are not fortunate enough to have the kind of education to go up there. Although you are right, um, uh, not until several years ago, there are not many female uh, creative. Uh, it's still, it, it is a, is a male-dominated um, industry then. And it started to change a lot, but all the CD were men during that time. I am hoping in a very positive, you know, light is going to continue to grow and, and rise. And the creative output is also changing. In the past, there is a lack of sensitivity and to be honest, a lack of correct insight because the insight were gathered by men or even women, but living in a men's world, the insight, it's not as accurate as now. Now, because we have so many different people from different backgrounds and more female leader, more female creative and non-binary, it gives a different kind of insight that I think allows you to be more sensitive and looking at it from a deeper and broader point of view. I am hopeful it is going to a direction where it allows a deeper understanding of humans in whatever form. And it's that honesty, isn't it, and authenticity that you get from those insights because they are true and and real. And I wonder, you know, what you think still needs to happen to make the creative industries truly diverse? Like what in Indonesia do you think is missing? The country is so large and uh, the country is also very rich uh, uh, in terms of where there were natural resources, you know, uh, labor um, uh, and all that. So sometimes they, um, you know, Indonesians feel that I am okay living in Indonesia. I don't need to be affected by what happened around the world. We want to work with a brand. Let's say Unilever, for example, right? We work with a brand who we want them to aspire to, whether it's women and others. Um, They're only looking at it from an Indonesia point of view. While this is actually an international brand who has a different purpose globally that might not be fitting with what you know, Indonesia is, is experiencing. So that is actually what is lacking. But what I see now for the last few years, especially with the current government, they're trying to embrace the global agenda more. I'm like, okay, 
at least people are more open now. Don't forget that Indonesia is also um, a population with the largest, uh, you know, uh, Muslim uh, religion actually available in this country. So when we talk about diversity uh, in countries uh, or continent like US and Europe, right, it's very different from diversity here because we have um, um, a religion aspect. We have the ethnicity. Indonesia has around 27,000 islands. And each of the island has their own dialect, their own language, and then their own culture and their own religion, uh, you know, segmented here and there. So that's the diversity uh, challenge that we are actually facing, especially between the majority and the minority. So while we are trying to embrace the global agenda, we are also having a very big homework in this country about a different set of diversity problem that we need to tackle. If you have a foreigner coming to Indonesia leading a, a, an agency or, or be the head of the creative, and then you have Indonesian's creative team or brands, you can see, right, the kind of mismatch because the foreigner coming here has a different sets of, um, of understanding, while here we have a different sort of um, challenge. So finding that sweet spot in the middle is definitely um, one of the most challenging things in the creative industry in Indonesia. That's so fascinating and so different as well from you know my experience in the UK. And I guess that's what's so cool about Spark is that we're hearing these different perspectives globally and it's so important we're a global agency um, and connecting with these different experiences from people all over the world how much does gender play a part in your role as a leader you know has this been something that's been important to you and if it has you know how has this shown up in your career I didn't realize it was that important until I was in Wunderman Thompson uh, in JWT because I just find out literally then when I was appointed as the CEO of JWT, I am literally the first Indonesian woman that was uh, made CEO of JWT in JWT history in Indonesia. So that was a shocker to me. I started to look at the Indonesian uh, women needs, especially in our industry, right? Indonesian women, when the company finds out that they are pregnant, they're not going to be promoted. I never knew this for real until um, I experienced it. At that time, even when I was experiencing it, I didn't take it uh, as an offense. I take it as more of a disappointment because I wanted the promotion, but I didn't think of it as a discrimination. So what I did was I worked very hard during my pregnancy. I was promoted one day before I gave birth because uh, my bosses started to say, okay, she's not joking yet. Like she's still doing the work until the last day and all that. And, that. and again, I didn't feel I was shortchanged. It was, it was funny, right? Because because I wasn't aware of it as much. And then I started to realize, wow, this actually matters to a lot of people. So I wanted to use what I already achieved and where I was to start spreading the, you know, the influence, if I could use the term. My first thing that I did in HNK was I have this one girl that um, she's, she's young. She's super fantastic, right? She has this passion, but she's also pregnant. And, and she was due for promotion. And I was so dying to prove a point that I'm not going to, you know, we should not discriminate anyone. So I literally promoted her uh, one month before her maternity leave. I just want to make a point that she is good. She can do her job. And I remember people's reaction. Surprise is one thing. Second of all, then I started to see everybody was so delighted. And then my HR head was so happy because 
apparently, I didn't know as well, she's been dying to change certain things, but she felt she wasn't empowered enough because she doesn't know how the company will react because, again, it's 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 not a common thing to do that uh, in her previous jobs as well. So after that, and again, I was lucky because when we brought HNK in Indonesia, it was completely new. So we, we started to set different rules whether it's from, you know, the promotion during pregnancy. And then we also introduced paternity leave for the dad. Now, I know it's this has already happened in other countries, but not Indonesia. When we find out one of our colleagues, you know, the wife is pregnant, we gave him an option, uh, you know, you can do this with your wife. And so after a while, we solidified as part of, a, you know, company policy and our HR started to introduce it to everyone. The position you're in and having the power to be able to make those kind of real changes that that have real impact for people that work for you must feel amazing you say they're little things marianne but they really add up and they make a big impact it will mean a lot to those people i'm sure you know how easy it was this is the funniest thing you thought about you live with it all your life you see it happening surrounding you and you take it as yeah well that's life but when i was there and i made the change it was so easy and I was so surprised. If it's this easy, why is it so difficult? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Why is it so difficult? I mean, really, this is why we need women in positions of power. Back to your point about insights and, and having those authentic, real insights. You have that insight because you're a woman. So you can support other women in changing policies, etc. Yeah, exactly. You live that experience. So who better to drive that forward? What makes you excited for the future as a sort of female leader? At least the door is opening and it's not as hard. So I really like that. And I also see how everywhere people are making uh, these changes. I, I see lots of change being made in this era. I'm also very excited that the work that we produce, especially when it concerns women or the next generation, right? Or even the LGBTQ community and all. It is more hopeful. And again, Indonesia being, you know, a population with the largest Muslim country in the world, we definitely have a lot of um, culture and tradition that is still not breakable until now. And, and there is this fear of having too much of a Western influence to this side of the world. That fear sometimes hinder the progress that slowly we are making. But from the creative output that I see, uh, not all brands and not as many yet, but at least I started to see um, um, output where brands are no longer scared and the agency started to produce better. And when I look at some of those work, what I notice is there's always a senior female in that creative team to produce this work. Actually, in Wunderman Thompson, I felt very lucky because one of my best top creative director was a transgender. And during the time I was working with her, she was going through the change. So she's also in a lot of challenge, uh, challenges beyond. One of her work, because of very sensitive um, uh, in Indonesia, we had to produce it in Thailand. And it's based on her story, the feeling that she has and how she wanted to be born differently. And our work won Khan's Lion. Literally, it will make you cry. But that was supposed to be produced in Indonesia. But during that time, it is not allowed because uh, Indonesian government still have certain rules and regulation. And the client, obviously, too scared because they still want to do business in Indonesia. But the global team saw this such a good script. So we move it to Thailand. So between the two offices, we work together and produce it in Thailand. I feel lucky that I was exposed to that because that also allows me to not just female. There are other homework 
that we need to do, you know, in terms of the creative space and, and communication space. You keep saying you're lucky, Marianne, but I really don't think it's just luck. I think you're clearly very passionate, super busy, and you also invest so much into your relationships, both your clients and your team. So when you need to be adaptable, like all the stories you've told us today, where you've had to use that more creative approach, people trust you. Your team and your clients are always there along for the ride. And as a leader, that's really not easy, but you get them to take a jump with you and try new things and and really have that leap of faith. And it's really, really inspiring. We were talking about how we can get clients to actually work with us and and maybe buy some of these ideas that might be challenging from a sort of diversity, equity and inclusion perspective. Why that might be challenging and how we can sort of overcome maybe some of the nervousness or the fear, I guess, they have of going with those ideas. And I wondered if you had any sort of perspective on working with clients around those difficult subjects and challenging subjects. To be honest, it's still a challenge now because when we found a good idea, we always present it to the client. And yes, the client loves it, but there's always this fear. What if it has a backlash? What if the majority of the Indonesians do not understand? What if the government notices? So yes, I do um, experience that as well. And I think most agencies experience that. And by timing and luck, sometimes you succeeded to convince them and they're willing to do it. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes what we're trying to do is also to change the the idea in such a way that uh, the message is not too forefront. At least we get the message across, but it's not too forefront. Also, sometimes when we produce something, we might not be able to play it in Indonesia. We can only play it um, um, outside. Now, the thing is, sometimes it goes back because social media, you cannot control it, right? I have a case where it was good. Well, we want to socialize it, but it was a taboo in Indonesia. So we work with another office from another um, country. So even if it goes to Indonesia, it is not from Indonesia. So that nobody can do anything. So we circumvent the system that way. We find ways and loophole uh, so that the idea can still come alive without having a backlash. We still do that, unfortunately, until now. And I guess that's another form of creativity, isn't it? <laughs> How to get the idea to actually run. It is, it is, it is because you literally dig in. <laughs> exactly. And it's, and if you notice, right, this is not about the money. There's nothing, it's not about budget. It's about how do you do this, you know? What piece of creative work are you most proud of, Marianne? One of my work was with the Ministry of Tourism for Indonesia. I work with 14 countries at the moment working on that. And it was a completely brand work. I don't know if you ever seen Indonesian tourism logo. It's called Wonderful Indonesia. It is actually the work of myself and my team, and it is still used until now. I actually reported to the minister himself for three years, and we literally market Indonesia in a different way. And I'm working as a PR capacity, by the way. I wasn't working as a brand capacity, but we were forced to actually work beyond. And I learned a lot, obviously. We created the brand book and because it belongs to the country through the Ministry of Tourism, you cannot just launch it. So you have to go to the cabinet to get an approval because we are using country's money to produce that. You do different kinds of programs to reach a global audience and all that. We revamped the website. So instead of just a normal government website, we work with Adobe to create a marketplace for the Ministry of Tourism and allows operators to actually use that to sell their products. So we did like 
crazy stuff for three years, like something that I've never dreamed that I would be able to do. And the crazy bit was on the third year where I moved from Ogilvy to JWT and I had three months break. So I've told both parties, you know, both Ogilvy and JWT, I am going to have a break for three months. Please do not bother me. And then, you know what happened? <laughs> because I, I, obviously our biggest product is Bali, right? Who doesn't know Bali in Indonesia? And Mount Agung, the volcano in Bali, erupted in the beginning of my three months leave. So I already quit from Ogilvy. Um, I had three months to join JWT. The minister called me and he goes, I don't care if you're on holiday, you gotta come back. So I went in, I canceled everything. And then because I have no team, so what I did is, I borrow Ogilvy's team and then I borrow JWT's team. We work together and we split the revenue between the two agencies for the crisis. There are a lot of foreign tourists in Bali. They cannot go out. We cannot go in. And we actually run a live media center from two cities, Jakarta and Bali. And then after three months, again, it was fixed. But I have no more holiday to start in GWT. So, yes, that was my craziest, craziest time. And to merge two agencies like that as well. I know at WPP, we work with other agencies a lot, but that really does seem to be taking it to a whole other level. But talk about desperate times needs desperate measures, yeah. I called both of them like, I don't care. This has to be done. <laughs> I was just reading that even during the pandemic, in 2020, you recorded 40% revenue growth. I honestly don't know how you're doing this. Whenever you're faced with a new challenge, you don't seem to just tackle it, but you come out the other side even stronger than ever. So what is next for your ever-growing team, Marianne? People uh, tend to have a grand plan, right? And, oh, okay, in the next several years, you're going to have this. And the next several years, you're going to have this. I don't have that grand plan, but I see lots of opportunity. I, I refuse to see all these challenges as something that stops me. So while we are managed to grow, while we are managed to cultivate different, whatever is different culture, different skills, I do not want any challenges and any negativity influence the kind of growth that we can have. So every year we started to see different trends. And so rather than we need to create a structure, we need to bind by the structure. I prefer we look at it. This year, the agenda is this. How do we mold ourselves to plug into that agenda, to plug into that um, trend and then start creating? I, I do that rather than, oh, but we have this structure, we have to follow this. We cannot do it because, you know, there is this mandate or there is this regulation. I don't want to think that way unless you can follow what's happening in the world and the world are changing so fast, you are not going to grow. So you just keep have to be, I think you used the word nimble in the beginning of our podcast. I think that's it. Regardless your age, regardless your gender, regardless whatever it is that you do, just be nimble so that you can adapt quickly. So I see that more rather than making a grand plan because look at COVID, right? All the grand plan are just out in the window, you know, as soon as one, one virus kicks in, right? So I want to be a realist as well. I have too much passion. I think it could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing, but I'm managing it in such a way where I have to be a realist as well. So rather than creating a grand plan, I am just trying to be as aware as I should be as much as I could so that I can be nimble and continue to grow depending on the situation. Give one piece of advice to a young woman or a non-binary person that's starting out in their career in the creative industry. What would that be? 
Yes, I like to use that quote from Einstein where he says, um, only the crazy keeps doing the same thing but expecting a different result. So meaning is that, especially for people like us who have to work twice as hard because not all privileges are given to us, keep doing different things. So if you're actually doing something for a period of time, and please don't wait too long, and you started to feel that this is not working out, try different methods, try different things. Because if it's not going to work out in the first few, let's say, months, or, you know, or tops one year, it's not going to work out in the next few years. So be always ready to make that change. And there is this saying of better the devil, you know. So sometimes, although it's difficult, but because you are in that situation for a long time, you develop a sense of comfort. And because you're too afraid to make the change. And that's, I think, sometimes can be a big challenge. So my advice is definitely, as soon as you know something is not working, please start finding new ways. Because only then you can find out the kind of change that you can make. That's fantastic and feels very nimble as well. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time, Marianne. I feel so energised and lucky that we got to speak to you. Um, you have so much passion, um, fantastic stories from your career. And yeah, thank you for joining us on the very first Spark episode. I know. Thank you. And I'm honoured. I'm the first one. Really. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more or connect with Marianne, you can find her on LinkedIn. We'll make sure to add a link to the description of this episode. This podcast was produced by Lucy Doolin and myself, Hannah Quick. We'd also like to thank Mate Moreau for designing our wonderful cover art, Leah Taub for creating our jingle and doing the story editing, and Zoe Durham for assistant editing. We'd also like to thank Jack Bushell, Marina Cascon, and Grace Nuthall for all their podcast advice. It really does take a village. And of course, thank you to everyone that has listened. This was our first Spark episode and we're so excited to hear from even more inspirational guests. So thanks for all your support and stay tuned.